pray for one another. A lot of folks struggling with what I, I hear is the unholy trinity of the flu, RSV, and COVID all together. Uh, so pray for one another. My prayer is that everybody can be better by, you know, candlelight service and be able to enjoy the holidays with each other and all that good stuff. Um, and uh, since Joe is leaving and going out of state for Christmas, we hope he gets miserably sick and can't go. Amen. 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 All right. John chapter number two. Isn't it good to be saved? Amen. It's good to be in church this morning. Glad to see you guys. Uh, I am uh, very, very thankful. I woke up this morning just thinking about, I don't know, just the goodness of God and and um, how he has blessed our church over the years. And I'll, I'll mention this again in the morning service, but uh, I'll just say things are starting to get a little bit more real with the property that we're looking at. So uh, continued prayers on that. Um, I'm excited and nervous and all of it wrapped into one. Uh, but uh, I- I- if the Lord be for us, who can be against us, right? So, uh, all right, John chapter 2. All right, guys, Thomas says I can start church now, right, Thomas? All right, you got it. All right, John chapter 2. Uh, let's look, if we would, at verse number 11, John chapter 2. Uh, actually, let's go back to verse 10. I'm sorry, I, I, I need to hit on this again because there's kind of been a reoccur- recurring theme that I have, uh, I have dealt with. Maybe you're not, uh, but this is the time of year for Christmas parties, right? Okay, anyone? Are you guys live out there? I got two cups. Anybody want one? Anybody? All right. Uh, so Sorry, you can't have it. Uh, uh, matter of fact, I'll tell you what, only my wife will want this now. Amen. Um, but uh, anyways, this is the time of year uh, for holiday parties, Christmas parties, all that. And uh, let me just say that most of these things are kind of catered around or centered around drinking. And uh, I know I spent a lot of time on that subject. Um, You may have a different opinion. All I would do is this. I would challenge you from the word of God. If you go, I don't agree with the scriptural position that Christians should not drink. Okay, my response would be, let's let's look at some scripture to see why you believe they should. Okay, so, so what, I, what I'm saying is this, is let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever become a better Christian by doing it? No. Let me ask you this question. You ever become a better Christian by reading your Bible? Yeah. By coming to church? There are things you can do to enhance your uh, mind and to enhance your walk with Christ. And um, I would encourage you to notice uh, what it says in verse number 10, because... People get this uh, wrong all the time. And verse 10 it says, uh, And say unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. It does not say that when they've gotten drunk. It says when they have well drunk. I have well drunk my cup of coffee. And by the time I drink these two cups, you can say I would have well drunk my coffee this morning. All right? That doesn't, well drunk means that you have uh, ingested a lot of something and it was appreciated and enjoyed. Uh, Drunken is different, okay? To be drunk, what I'm getting at is this, there are people that that teach that Jesus turned water to old wine or basically alcohol. And if that's the case, then um, what they try to do is they go, look, they, they got drunk. No, it does not say that. It says that they well drunk. All right, well, but I hate to do this, but guys, some of you are going to hate me for this. You don't like grammar and all that, but well is an adverb. Watch this. Let me, let me show you something. I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here when I do this, all right? Very drunk or drunken, 
all right? There's an N missing there. Just, just, it's, you know what the word is, all right? <laughs> Versus well drunk, all right? These are two different things. They're not the same, all right? Um, so, so I, I just want to point out to you one more time, and without going through everything that we learned a couple weeks ago, uh, you can't find scriptural proof that would ever prove that Jesus Christ turned water to alcohol. Now, if you weren't here for that lesson, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Go back and, and, and watch it. Go back and listen to it. Um, but I'll, I'll just, I'll throw this out there. Um, what makes this book, and I'm not going to mince words today. I mean this book, the, the King James Bible. Right. What makes this book different than other books is that you're going to find doctrine in here that is biblically, that is sound, that God intended for the believer to have, that is, that I will say like this, it is watered down, it is changed, all right? It is trivialized in other Bibles, in other versions of the Bible. Uh, for example, the idea of uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. How many of you know that the kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning on the earth, all right? How many know the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and it's inside of you, all right? The Bible says in Luke chapter number uh, I believe 17, when the Pharisees are asking about the kingdom of God showing up, he says this, uh, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall you say, lo, it is here, or lo, it is there, for the kingdom of God is within you. Well, guess what? Modern Bibles change it. You won't even learn the difference between the two. A matter of fact, here's another one for you. It, this gets interesting. Uh, some Bibles change in John chapter 18 where it says, my kingdom is not now of this world. You know what some Bibles say? My kingdom is not of this world. No, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. It's going to be someday. Amen. It's not right now. When you take a three-letter word like now and you take it out, you change everything, man. Right. You, you make it like it's all just spiritual. No, it's going to be physical someday, but it's spiritual right now. And what I'm getting at is this. Uh, when you look at uh, modern Bibles, the idea of old wine and new wine is, is gone for most of them. You know Why? Uh, because of a thing called dynamic equivalence, which I'm not, I don't want to uh, spend too much time here, guys. But for those of you that aren't theologians, you're not going to Bible school, you're probably not as interested. But I want to help you out a little bit. Uh, if I say take out the trash and I look at my daughter, Isabella, what does that mean? Okay. Now she sits there and goes, what do you really mean? Right. <laughs> she can do that. And she can make up whatever she thinks I mean because she wants to change what I actually said. Are you listening this morning? Dynamic equivalence is not a, a literal translation is what you have in your King James Bible, all right? A, 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 a dynamic equivalence is basically going, you know what? Uh, this idea from this verse, I think this is what God meant. So here's how I'm going to change it so that it makes more sense to the audience. Well, hold on. Uh, take out the trash. Is pretty, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I love when people say the these and the thou's. Thou shalt not commit adultery. What did you not get about that? Keep your hands to yourself until you're married. Amen? Amen. All right. They'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. Well, well here, here's the idea. The idea is this, is that when we look at the subject of old wine versus new wine, new wine is juice. It's, it's grape juice. Brother, your, your, your South African symptoms are now spreading to your wife. All right? So, so now she's got to wear the fur. She just knows the truth. He, anything under 70 degrees is ungodly, is what Brother Steon says. Uh, so this is ungodly weather right now. Uh, but uh, uh, what I'm getting at is this, uh, new wine is grape juice, it's, un it's unfermented. Uh, someone recently reached out and mentioned that uh, uh, fermentation, something about fermentation versus pasteurization, those are two different things. They're not the same, don't, don't confuse, don't conflate those two issues. 
but, but fermentation, uh, what, what happens once that thing goes on is uh, what you read about in Proverbs chapter 23. It says it moves. You ever watch a chemical reaction in alcohol? If you ever watch it in slow motion, it really looks like this. And you know what it says in Proverbs? How did they know that before they had slow motion cameras? How did they know that back hundreds of thousands of years ago when Solomon's writing the book of Proverbs? It moveth itself like a serpent, right? And so there's that, that, that reaction that takes place in nature. And by the way, that's a picture of our fallen nature, whereas the new wine's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us from our sins. And, and so to imply that Jesus Christ would turn this to alcohol and that people were getting drunk is something that I would say borderlines on blasphemy. Now, do I think most people understand that? No. Do I think most people innocently ha- uh, hear the statement, Jesus turned water to wine, and they assume that it's, you know, what everyone thinks it is? Yes, I do. However, you're in a Bible-believing church, which means we actually study the Bible. So we're going to look at that and examine it for what it is. And so, again, I want to point out, uh, nothing to do with the study this morning, uh, but I want to point out that Jesus did not uh, put alcohol in front of people and, and, and you say, why is that? Well, the Bible says in Habakkuk, go, go to Habakkuk real quickly with me. Habakkuk chapter number two. Habakkuk chapter number two. And I am trying to find verse number 15. Habakkuk chapter two and verse number 15. And uh, brother Tim, can you, when you get there... Uh, and by the way, if you're having trouble finding Habakkuk, uh, don't feel bad. It's toward the end of your Old Testament, all right? It doesn't get, it's not like the Gospel of John. It doesn't get a lot of street cred, but it's a good book, all right? Uh, brother, can you, can you read Habakkuk 2, verse 15 real loud for us? All right, so you know what? If you go, if you read that verse... And you remember the first time that alcohol shows up in human history, according to the book of Genesis. The first time it shows up, it's connected with people, I'll just say, losing their moral standards and going into perversion. How about that? Is that fair? Try to PG that one as best as I could. Uh, But read it for yourself in Genesis chapter number 9. The the idea is this. The idea is that oftentimes um, the the use of uh, alcohol in modern culture especially is to kind of get everyone to kind of loosen up, right, to, so we can have a good time. My question to you as a believer is, why do you need that to have a good time? Like, is, and I mean that sincerely, like, what is it about your life that's so bad that you want to forget? Now, if, if that is where you're at, there are some things you can do to cure that. The Bible talks a lot about depression. You look at people like Elijah and things like that, and uh, how to deal with depression. But I'm going to tell you right now, that... that that opens up a Pandora's box in your life that's very hard to close. Um, and, and look, whatever someone wants to do or doesn't want to do is their own personal choice. But as your pastor, it's my responsibility to at least show you from the Bible the distinction between old wine and new wine and what the Bible says about all that. All right. So uh, anyways, uh, that said, since now we're making friends and influencing people, let's look at verse number 11. This beginning of miracles. Go, I'm sorry, John chapter 2, verse number 11. Let's give you a moment to get back there. Uh, And we're going to try to talk about two things this morning. We'll see how far we get. Um, The first of them is the the purpose of miracles. And the second thought has to do with Jesus cleaning house uh, and and how that applies even to your life today. 
And so look at verse 11. The, uh, the, the first part of the study this morning, the, the miracles part, is going to be very doctrinally focused and really, really looking at what is the purpose of miracles and, and why did God use them and why, uh, do, do they, should they still happen today and that kind of thing. You, you ever thought about this as you're reading your Bible? Uh, let's be honest. How many of you have ever read your Bible and you thought, man, I wish God would do miracles like that today? Anybody? I've thought about that. You read about things in the Old Testament. You read about things in, in the Gospels where Jesus shows up. Uh, even in the early church in the book of Acts. Uh, now, let me just say this. Miracles can go both, way, uh, both ways. They can, they can bring life and they can kill. It was an absolute sign and a wonder when people did not give appropriately and they died right in the church. Right? You wouldn't call that a miracle, but, uh, but you understand what I'm getting at. That was a supernatural thing that took place with Ananias and Sapphira. So, so there's a flip side of that. Be careful what you wish for, I guess is my point. Uh, but what is the purpose of miracles? It says in verse 11, after the, the water turning to new wine and, 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 and all of that, in verse 11 it says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So, so what you see right there is that, that signs are for confirmation. Uh, look at John chapter number 20, end of your, of your book here, John chapter 20. Signs uh, and wonders and miracles, they do have a purpose, all right? Now, again, keep at, we're going to keep in the background, uh, should they still be happening today? And I'm going to subscribe to you that, that the reason that God used signs really was, was connected to the idea that the Word of God was not completed, and where people don't have access to the Word of God, God will supernaturally work. Uh, and, and I'll be honest with you, and I'll just say this much, guys. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't want you guys to think I'm, I'm crazy or charismatic or anything. But I still think God can do certain things today that He did back in the book of Acts. And, and, and what I mean by that is this. If you go to certain parts of the world where there's no Bible, and you'll hear about people over, I mean, in, in the Middle East, these Muslims that have a dream about Jesus, and they hear the gospel in the dream, and they get up, and then they, they go searching for it, and they, some miraculous thing happens, and someone gives them somehow a portion of Scripture, and they get saved. I don't know how to explain that. Right. And the only way I can explain that is this, is that God does not work that way where His complete mind is revealed. Uh, when Western civilization were spoiled, we've had the Bible for centuries now, and we take it for granted. Uh, but other parts of the world are still locked down, and the Bible can't get there. I believe God can do some supernatural things, but I think by and large, the general rule of thumb is, once this book was completed and God said, okay, the word, the, my thoughts, my words are given to mankind, I no longer have to work that way, because now you have it all recorded in one place. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. They didn't even have it when Jesus first showed up, all right? In the Old Testament, you've got the, uh, the kingdom of Israel, and you know it's split up, and the, the, the two tribes go to Judah, the two southern tribes, the ten northern tribes go to Israel. Uh, oftentimes, it's called Israel or Ephraim in certain books of the Old Testament. And, and then after that, you have basically the, the breaking down of Israel, and they go into captivity. And that's what the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles. When Jesus shows up, uh, it was the times of the Gentiles. Who was in charge when Jesus shows up, governmentally speaking? Rome. So Rome is in charge. Rome is a, a, a great picture of Gentile power, all right? And, and so when he, when, whenever the Lord shows up, it's the times of the Gentiles. Uh, the fullness of the Gentiles takes place when the rapture happens, all right? But let me just say this. Right after his resurrection, you know what the Lord does? He gives the scriptures to his apostles. They, they pen those things down. And then you know what you notice uh, toward the end of Paul the Apostle's ministry? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind all this in a moment. But at the end of Paul the Apostle's ministry, 
uh, he talks about leaving someone sick. I have left Trophimus at Miletum sick. Here's the guy that can, raises the dead and, and, and heals the sick and all that good stuff, and he leaves the guy sick? Like, well, either, either Paul's a colossal jerk, which I don't think that's what the Bible is showing us, or that the signs and the wonders and the miracles were no longer needed to confirm the word. Now look at John chapter number 20. We're going to come back to this chart here in a moment. John chapter number 20, toward the end of the gospel of John. John chapter 20. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. You know what that means? You're blessed. Amen. God considers you blessed because of your faith. Uh, look at verse 30. And many other, underline it, what's the next word? Signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might, what? Believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believe that you might have life through his name. In other words, the reason why those signs were even recorded in Scripture was to confirm who Jesus Christ said he was. All right? and, and what you find out is this, is that uh, kicking off the ministry of Jesus Christ, the first thing he does publicly is a miracle. What does he do when he sends the apostles out? Go to Matthew chapter number 10. Matthew chapter 10. And when he sends them out, uh, you learn that the, you know, he starts out with hundreds of disciples and he sends out the 70. Then he, then he sends out the 12. Uh, and and it, within that 12, there's that inner three of Peter, James, and John, right? Uh, but look at Matthew 10. When he commissions, this is the original commission, not the great commission of Matthew 28. But when he first sends his apostles out uh, to preach the kingdom of heaven, look, if you would, at verse number one, Matthew 10. Verse 1, when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, it's important to note something because what we're going to find out from Paul's writings is that these signs and these miracles are very closely connected with Israel. They're not connected with the Gentile world as much as they are confirming to Israel that their Messiah had shown up. The prophecies from the Old Testament were, were pointing to a man that would show up and be the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent from God, all right, God's son. And when he shows up, he's going to have miracles to prove that he is who he said he was. Uh, if you want to see uh, that I'm not just blowing smoke here, look at verse number six. Look at where he sends them. Look at where he tells them to go. Uh, he says in verse six, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go back to verse 5. Look what he says there. Go not into the way of the Gentiles. In other words, I want you to take these signs, I want you to take these miracles, and I want you to prove to my people that I am who I said I am, that the Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is being offered. All right? Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Mark chapter number 16. Mark chapter 16. So, uh, listen, when the Lord sends them out, originally, he sends them out with signs and wonders. At the end of his ministry, when he's about to go back up to heaven, he sends them out again. Mark chapter 16. And look, if you would, at verse number uh, 15. And he said to them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Uh, the, the, the thing that determines whether or not you're saved or lost is not baptism. It's your belief. That's what's proven in that verse. Uh, look at verse 17, though. And these, what? Shall follow them that believe. Now, here's where the modern day 
uh, I'm not using this term um, offensively, that this is kind of their own term, uh, a modern-day charismatic, someone that believes in signs and gifts and wonders and miracles for today. This is where they kind of go off the rails because they read this verse and they go, well, I believed, and because I believe and I'm following Jesus, then I should have these signs. Look what it says. Uh, th- these signs shall follow them to believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, for they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. You know what those are? Those are miracles and signs and wonders. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now look at verse 20. This is important. I think the most important verse in this passage about signs and wonders is the last verse in the passage. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with what? All right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, if you, why would you need that? Why would you need signs to accompany the word? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. The reason that they needed signs to accompany the word was twofold. Number one, to prove to their own people, to prove to Israel that they were sent. Listen, when Jesus shows up, you know what they're asking him? What's going to be your sign? What's going to be your sign? What's going to be your sign? Why are they doing that? Uh, because they were taught from the Old Testament there would be signs associated with the Messiah. So Jesus heals the sick, cleanses the lepers, raises the dead, all of that. They still didn't believe, which, by the way, is a great reminder when people go, if I could just see it, I'd believe. No, you won't. Some people, it's right in front of you, you won't believe. People, some people come to church and they hear the gospel over and over. They know they're going to hell. They know they're lost without, without Jesus Christ. They know something's missing in their life. And they go, man, if he just showed up right now, you've got a bunch of representations of him in this room, living, breathing testaments of Jesus Christ alive and well today. And you can ignore it or you can pay attention to it. That choice is yours. All right? but, but the reality is, is they, they saw Jesus do all these things, and yet they did not believe. Uh, but God's always going to keep his end of the deal. So when he sends his apostles out, they're going to go, are you really sent from the Messiah? And they go, watch this. All right. So, so not, I'm not saying they actually talked like that. Don't misunderstand me. Check this out. You know, pew, you know I don't think that's how that went. Uh, but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 22. Now, this gives you a, a, a kind of a generalization on how the Jew works versus how the Gentile works. And look, if you would, at verse number 22. For the Jews require a... Okay, so what you see in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he sends out his apostles first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to reach them. All right, so you see that, and so what does he have? He has signs. When he sends out his apostles, they're going to question, they're going to go, are you really sent from God? And they have those signs confirming the word. Now, when it says confirming the word, you need to get this. The word that they're confirming is the preaching that they're doing. It's not the Bible. There is no Bible yet. You got to get a hold of that. All they have at that point is the Old Testament. There's no, when you're, some, when I was a teenager and I read Mark, I'm like, well, at least Matthew's done. I didn't know any better. I, I just thought it was done because, you know, it came, Mark is after Matthew and therefore Matthew's already been written. It didn't work that way. And so when they're being sent out, there is no New Testament. There's nothing except for what these guys preach. And so as they're preaching, they're going, how do we know you're really sent from God? And they would say, bring me your sick. And they would say, uh, hey, who died here? Yeah. And, and they would perform these miracles, and they would prove that they were sent from God. All right? So really what you're looking at is this, is that the ministry of Jesus Christ and the ministry of the apostles 
is primarily, uh, it starts off connected with one nation, Israel. What do they require? They require signs to confirm the word. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1. I know we've heard, some of you have read this verse before, uh, but it's worth looking at again. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And there is absolutely no way, Caleb, we're going to get through everything. But we're having fun doing this, right? All right. 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. My daughter came down to my study this morning. She goes, Dad, are you just adding stuff that we're not going to go through this morning? (laughs) It is wrong, isn't it? I told her she could leave at that point. You can leave. You can go. Uh, She was right, though. Uh, Look at uh, verse number... Uh, Let's see here. Go back to verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. You know what a cunningly devised fable is? That in the beginning, there was this giant explosion. It came from nowhere. No one knows where it came from. And out of that explosion and chaos came this order and structure that, you know, that that just, that flows through the universe. And everywhere you look, you see the evidence of a designer. But no, it was really just a big explosion. That's a cunningly devised fable. That's a fairy tale for grown-ups, all right? Uh, we have not, uh, he talks about the fact, that, look, we're not preaching stuff that isn't real. Look what he says here. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were I majesties, eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, we saw him. Now, now watch what he's going to say here. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well Please, before I read anything else, does anybody remember the historical reference that Peter's talking about? Nod your head, wave a hanky, do something, let me know if you know what I'm talking about. Something? All right, good. All right, so, so I see some shaking of heads as well. In Matthew 17, uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on top of a mountain, and they go to pray. And as they're praying up there, the disciples look up, and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus in the middle. Sound familiar? And it, and it says that his face shone as the sun, and it was bright and glorious and all that stuff. And then the heavens opened, and God the Father audibly spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Peter was there to hear all of that. So Peter is talking about that particular event. Would you say that's a supernatural event? Would you say that's a sign or a wonder or a miracle? I would. To hear, God, to hear God speak from heaven, it's what everybody says. That they, if I could just hear God speak from heaven, then I would X, whatever X is, right? You know, I, I, I'd, I'd treat my wife better. I'd, you know, I'd follow my husband. I'd, I'd raise my kid, whatever the thing might be. You know, I would, quit drink, I would quit doing drugs. If God just told me, you, thou shalt not do drugs, then I'd stop doing Whatever it might be, you, you say, if I could just hear God, Peter heard God. Now, now look what he says about that, that particular event. Uh, look at verse number 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Now, when the disciples are sent out to preach, you know what they're doing? They're preaching and and, and they're giving the oral word. It's what's coming out of their mouth from what they saw and what they heard in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. They are repeating what the Lord invested in them all right, what they saw and what they felt and what they heard, that's how John describes it, the elements of, 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 of tasting, or excuse me, touching and handling and hearing and seeing the Lord after the resurrection and all that. They are called to go out and preach that, and so they're doing that. But they've got no book. They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, none of that's there. 
And, and so what Peter is saying is, look, we saw all that. We experienced all of that. How amazing is that? I'd like to have been there. I, I didn't get to be there. Three people on this planet outside of God manifesting the flesh were there for that event. That's a pretty spectacular event. And yet, look at verse 19. Look what he says here. We have also a more what? You know what you have in your hands? You have something that's more sure than something that you think you may be experiencing. And what Peter's trying to tell you is this. I got to see this take place, but guess what? We've got something more sure in our hands. We've got the words of God. And so what Peter is doing is Peter's reminding them, look, we've got a more sure word of prophecy. Now, where until you do well that you take heed as into a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. How do you know he's talking about the written word? Look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the what? is of any private interpretation. In other words, listen, there was the oral word that they preached, and then there's the written word, the scriptures, that came from God. And what he's saying is this, look, this is more sure than what you are experiencing with your senses. Coming from a guy who heard God speak from heaven, that's something to take note of. So in other words, here's what you have to understand. If the signs were given to confirm the preached word, all right, because the written word was not there yet, then what does that mean when the written word is finally given? There is less need for those signs. All right, uh, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You just making sense so far? All right, so, so we're not diminishing from the miracles that Jesus did. We're not diminishing from the miracles that the apostles did. What we are trying to do is point out that a lot of people that talk about miracles today uh, they, they've misconstrued, uh, maybe misaligned, and I'll just say flat out, some of them have just flat out lied. Yeah. Those, those big names that you see on TV that have, you know, the revivals where, where people come and, you know, bring me your sick and all that kind of stuff. Look, man, if you really had that, listen, Jesus didn't throw up a big tent revival, ask for money and say, come, let's look at the big show. You know what he did? He went to where the sick were at. If I had that gift, I'd be walking through the hospital and healing cancer patients and preaching the gospel of the grace of God to them. But I don't have that gift, and neither do you, all right? Because that gift is something that God gave supernaturally to a certain people at a certain time for a certain ministry, all right? Look, if you would, at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, look at verse number 12, all right? So here's another question. Are we apostles today? The answer is no. (laughs) There is a textbook definition for what qualifies an apostle. We'll look at that in a moment. But look at what, what Paul says, truly, the what? Signs of a what? Apostle were wrought among you in all patience in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. All right. Well, well, listen, God, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, went to his own people. And because of their unbelief, he used signs to confirm that he was who he said he was. That's why John chapter 20 uh, says those signs are recorded in the Bible to confirm that he is who he said he was. All right. Then he passes those miraculous signs on to his apostles. All right. Look at uh, Acts chapter number one. You want a definition of an apostle? Here's the best one. Now, there is an exception to this. Uh, A good exception to this would be Paul the Apostle himself. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that uh, uh, talking about the resurrection that he was seen of of John and then of Cephas, right, of Peter, right, Uh, and then of me as one born out of due time. 
talking about himself, born out of due time, talking about his apostleship being kind of out of place compared to everybody else. Kind of saying in so many words, I was an exception to the rule. Look at Acts 1, and uh, look if you would at Acts 1, uh, verse number, uh, let's go to 8, no, that's, that's still talking about Judas, you read about Judas in verse 17, 18, 19, uh, look at verse 21, wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, they were there for his public ministry, beginning from the baptism of John, they were there to see that, under that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. All right, now look down if you would at verse 25, uh, talking about these men that were selected, that he may take part of this ministry and what? Apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. So in other words, the, the, the apostleship was something that was designated by those men that were there from the baptism of John until the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so if you don't fit in that category, that's all of us right now, by the way, then you're not an apostle, right. which means you're not going to have the apostolic signs. All right. And, and so don't, let me let me be real clear about this. If someone came down, let's say that someone in this room came down with cancer today and uh, you're you know, it's it's fatal, you know, stage four, moving in the wrong direction. And we prayed. And then next week, you know, or a month later, the doctor said it's all gone. I don't know how to explain it. It's a miracle. God can do that. We're not talking about God doing miracles. We're talking about people having the the ability to perform the miracles with the power of God. I don't have that because that was given to the apostles. God is still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. All right? So he can heal somebody if he wants to. However, can I remind you that three times Paul the apostle went to God and said, Would you take this from me? Would you take this out of me? Would you take this out of me? Amen. You feeling that way right now? All right. Would you, would you remove this thorn in the, not, not the baby's a thorn in the flesh, but Paul says that, and he says, remove this thorn in the flesh. Three times you went to God. And you know what God said to him? Three times. My grace is sufficient for thee. So the God of miracles said, no miracles today. Why? Because the miracle I'm trying to perform in your life is a whole lot bigger than you just getting the relief that you want right now. If I just gave you the relief that you wanted right now, then the, the long-term miracle, which is you growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that would not take place. So, so maybe define miracle in a different way sometimes than what we always naturally think of. But the idea is this, is that right now, this is what God is using to confirm his thoughts to mankind, the Bible. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And, and you do well to take heed, as into a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star, the rapture, arise in your hearts, Romans chapter 8, and Christ in you is revealed, and that's what we call glory, all right? Whenever that happens, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then you have what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. You know what that's called? The Great Tribulation. And you know what starts happening all over again? Signs and wonders and miracles. Here's the dangerous part, though. Look, if you would, at Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. The dangerous part, and this is why, just because a miraculous, you know, someone says, I, I did a miracle or whatever, doesn't always mean that it's of the Lord. All right? Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me show that to you. Let me prove that to you from the Bible. When the Lord Jesus Christ showed up, 
he used miracles to confirm who he was. When he sends the apostles out, they use miracles to confirm what they're preaching. There's another person that's going to show up, and he's, he's going to use miracles to confirm that he is Christ, even though he's not. And his name's the Antichrist. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 8. And then shall that wicked, capital W, because it's a person, not just an entity or a force, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying what? All right. Uh, look at Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a famous, uh, well-known passage uh, where the disciples are talking about the end of the world and, and the Lord goes into stuff about the great tribulation, the end of the world and all that. Uh, not about the end of the church. Very carefully listen. Not the end of the church, but the end of the world as we know it. Not, that's not, I'm not referring to the song either, all right? I thought that might happen. People are looking at me. No, I'm just the end of the world as we understand it. And then, and then after that, after the great tribulation, what happens? The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says, that's why in Matthew 24, it's the end of the world. Not, not in the literal sense of the new heavens and the new earth. That doesn't happen until over here, right? And that's not New Hampshire, Nebraska. That's new heaven, new earth. That's eternity, all right? Um, that doesn't happen till after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. But, but the end of the world, as, as we know, in other words, before he comes back to set up his kingdom, all right, so what, what are the signs of all of that? Well, he shows us what, what some of these signs are. Look at Matthew 24, and, and here's, let me just give you this right now. If you're not familiar with the passage, here's the good news if you're saved right now. You will not have to be here for the great tribulation. Amen. Praise God for that. Uh, Matthew 24, now there's some guys on the internet that want to be there for the tribulation. All I can say is knock yourself out. Uh, I won't be, but whatever. Uh, look at verse 23. Then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The elect in that passage clearly is the elect of Israel. You learn that from reading the rest of the chapter. But here's my point. My point is this. In regards to signs and wonders, just because someone can do a miracle doesn't always mean that it's of the Lord. Uh, look, I'm not trying to be funny when I say this, but um, you know, I, for, for generations, people have talked about, you know, like I was at this restaurant and I saw this tortilla, and on the tortilla was the shape of the Virgin Mary, you know? And, and like, oh, let, let's, say that, let's say that you really did see that. What would that mean? How would you interpret that? What would you use to guide the interpretation? Well, that's the problem. Well, the Bible says don't believe these things. So, so, so the, that's the, the whole point is when people go out and they experience things, I'm not going to be the guy that goes, you didn't experience that. I'm just going to be the one that says, match it against the Bible. Maybe you did. I can't tell you whether you did or didn't. What I can tell you is this, is that if it goes against the Bible, I'm leaning toward the Bible, not your experience. All right? Now, look, you may, you may come to church, and the God, God shows you exactly what you need to do in your life, and then you go home and go, God, give me a sign. He's not, he's not, you cannot demand, God already gave you the sign. He gave you the Bible. 
right? That's what I'm trying to get at this morning, is that I'm not taking or diminishing at all from the, the miracles that Jesus did. Brother, if you can go to the next slide. We actually made it through two slides today. Hallelujah. Uh, look, look back at John chapter number two. What I'm trying to do, though, is this, is to show you that those miracles and those signs and wonders, uh, they were given for a certain purpose for a certain time to a certain people, and we're not there right now, all right? Uh, j- by the way, if you're all, you know, bent on, on seeing signs and wonders, uh, there's going to be a whole lot of them right here. The problem is you don't want to be here for the Great Tribulation either. So, so you've got you to understand, like, this is the day of, of, we call this the age of grace and all that kind of stuff. But man, I'll tell you what, walk, we walk by what? And not, that's what Paul says. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, it, it, the Bible says and when Jesus Christ comes down to reign on the earth for a thousand years, you know what they're going to say? No longer shall they say, know the Lord. K-N-O-W. Why? For every man shall know the Lord. Why? Because he's physically going to be here. In other words, you won't be walking around preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus because he's going to be right there. The age for faith is right now. So do you know why God's not doing, you know, all this crazy, funky stuff like he's going to do in the tribulation? Because you've got that book in your lap, and this is not the time of Israel's trouble. This is the time for the church. And our message is a spiritual kingdom that resides within your heart if you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. All right? So, so that, that's the purpose in all that. Now, let me just say this. When the Lord did these uh, miracles, uh, look at John chapter 2 and look at verse number 11 again. There were two things mentioned at the end of that verse that, that he did. All right, well, that those miracles did, or the, the results of those miracles, if you will. The first is he manifested forth his glory. In other words, he showed everybody who he was. The, the second was this, was that he proved to his disciples who he was. And let me just say, God cares more about his disciples knowing who he is and understanding what he's about than anything else. What I mean by that is this. You may go through the New Testament and read the times that Jesus preaches in parables, does he give the interpretation of the parables to everybody? No. It's when his disciples come to him and go, Lord, what are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. Let's go into that. He, he gets very particular with his disciples more so than he does with the crowd. Do you realize that's how much God cares about you? Amen. He wants you to get it. The Lord wants you to get it. Uh, look at John chapter 6. One of the, the dangers in him manifesting forth his glory. You might, you might remember earlier in John 2, he says to his mom, woman, my hour is not yet come. Remember that? And that was connected with him revealing who he was to the multitudes. Uh, look at John chapter 6, and look, if you would, at verse number 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples of them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now, you know the story. 5,000 plus people are fed. Uh, look at verse number uh, 14. Then those men, which they had seen the miracle, which uh, they had, when they had seen the miracle, excuse me, that Jesus did, fifth grade English, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a what? Do you, do you now understand why he was kind of like, uh... I don't want to start this until it's time, because once, once this thing goes, it's going to go. Another lesson you learn is this, and this is a lesson for modern-day politics as well. People will elect anyone that feeds them. Those same crowds that are, that are saying, let's make him a king, a few chapters later, they're saying, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. 
Now, let me close with this thought. Don't, don't be like, a, you know, Paula Abdul, what have you done for me lately, okay? <laughs> don't, don't treat the Lord that way. You know what they did? That's exactly what they did. They said, okay, when he's given us stuff that we want, he's my king. And when I, it looks like he's on the losing side and things aren't going the way I want, I don't have him. He's not mine. Don't live your Christian life that way. I just read today in my Bible about how an assumption was made, and we'll close with this thought. An assumption was made by the Syrians about the Lord, and the assumption that they made was, well, God, the God of, of Israel, he's, he's the God of the hills. He's the God of the mountains. So let's attack them in the valleys. And you know what they had to learn the hard way? The same God that's the God of the mountain is the God in the valley. Amen? All right, let's all stand, and we'll have a word of prayer and be dismissed there. Hopefully you learn something about miracles, what they're for, their purpose, why God used them in his ministry, how the apostles used them, and, and, uh, and how we don't need that anymore because we have the exact written words of God in our lap today. Uh, next week we'll get into the Passover, uh, the timeline for his ministry, and a little bit about what the Lord... Uh, remember the, in the 90s, the bracelets, and I think they come out again because everything that was popular in the 90s has come back again apparently, but uh, remember the WWJD bracelets? I think people are very, very confused on what Jesus would actually do. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, all the time they go, oh, Jesus would never say that. It's like, have you read what, the, what he said? Right. Oh, Jesus would never do that. Like, like Jesus, I, I think in a lot of people's minds, Jesus is like this harmless vegetarian hippie that's like, like you know, would never hurt a fly, you know, kind of like, you know, walked around with this transient group of men and kind of, you know, did cool stuff and that was it. He's the sinless son of God. And there's a side of Jesus we'll look at next, uh, next Sunday when we get to it in John 2. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for giving it to us, God. Thank you for preserving it for us. And Lord, I thank you for every single individual that came out this morning. And God, some of them have burdens. Some of them have some real issues in their life. Lord, I pray you would minister to them today. Lord, that it would be a blessing. As David said, it has been good for us to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, as Peter said, it has been good for us to be here and God, I pray we can walk away refreshed from your word. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll take a break there.